Good morning. It's time for the news from Back Home Magazine, your hands-on guide to sustainable living. Today's news is about driving green. Many folks today recognize the impact our lifestyles have on the environment, and one of the biggest impacts we make is by our choice of transportation. Clearly, the most eco-friendly and healthy means of getting around is by walking or riding a bike. But sometimes it's too far or too hot or, as it is at this time of the year, too cold. The next best choice is mass transportation, such as trains and buses. Unfortunately, unless you live in an area with a good mass transit system, and there aren't many of those, this option can be pretty limited. So that leaves your personal vehicle. The good news is that there's a lot you can do to drive green these days, and very often this also means saving money. Many of today's hybrid cars can get over 50 miles to the gallon, and that adds up to big savings at the gas pumps. Plus, the reduced emissions benefit air quality. If you drive a diesel, switching to biofuels will also reduce harmful emissions and give you greater flexibility in times of fuel shortages. No matter what type of vehicle you drive or what type of fuel you burn, keep up the maintenance. This isn't very exciting to most folks, but it offers some of the greatest immediate savings in mileage and reductions in pollution. Check the tire pressure regularly. Underinflated tires alone can cost you several miles to the gallon. Consider switching to synthetic oils for the engine. It will cost more the first time, but you can often save money because you can extend the time between oil changes, saving you the expense of more frequent regular oil changes. Another eco-friendly alternative is to change your car's antifreeze to a brand formulated from propylene glycol instead of the conventional ethylene glycol. Statistics show that hundreds of children's and thousands of animals are poisoned each year by ethylene glycol. So if you have children or pets, this is something to consider. Finally, one of the best ways to drive green is to, very simply, slow down. High speeds result in high fuel consumption. At 70 miles per hour, your car can use 25% more fuel than at 55 miles per hour. Hard driving wastes fuel and puts a strain on the vehicle itself, so change your NASCAR habits of racing off from the lights and hard braking to a stop, and you'll save fuel and money. More tips for driving green in 2006 are available from Back Home Magazine at 800-992-2546 or on the web at backhomemagazine.com. Back Home is published bi-monthly in North Carolina, south of Hendersonville, on West Blue Ridge Road, just east of the old Flat Rock. For all the folks back home, this is Ned Ryan Doyle. Thanks for listening. And you are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. I'm Ord Energymon. And this is Tree Song. And on the front page of the Southern, there, there's some gangsters. <laughs> proposed Walmart neighbors file lawsuit. Neighbors of the proposed Walmart Supercenter site are still trying to put the brakes on the project with a new lawsuit that has been filed against the city of Murfreesboro, claiming its rezoning of the site was done improperly and without 
much forethought. The suit was filed this week in Jackson County Circuit Court by 13 people with property that surrounds the Walmart site at the intersection of Country Club Road and Illinois 13, according to Ken Johnson, one of the complaints. Johnson said the annexation has, quote, been done very quickly without any planning or thought, end quote. If you want to read the whole article, it is in the Southern. But the reason why I said gangsters is there's a picture of the defenders against Walmart, or I don't know. They probably have a different name. But there's a couple guys with their arms crossed behind a lady holding the lawsuit, and they look like they mean business. Yeah, they're tough. <laughs> and they're uh, a few white-haired people. Um, what was the joke Paul said? Um, I don't remember. I already forgot. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul's a funny guy. Yeah, you are listening to your community spirit, and... Do you have happenings? Ah, yes, I have happenings galore. Because <laughs> nobody emailed me any happenings. Yeah, nobody emailed me any either, but um, I've got my finger on the pulse of what's going on at the IMC, so I've got a couple happenings from there. Well, tonight there is the Mountaintop Removal Presentation. It's at 7 p.m. tonight at the Big Muddy IMC, 214 North Washington. It's going to have Karina Lang. Um, she's She went and witnessed herself in West Virginia, some of this destruction, and so now she's going to be driving from southern Illinois to the west coast and back along the, like, she's going to the west coast and then coming back through the southwest, and she's going to be uh, educating people about mountaintop removal, and this is definitely one to see because it's it's sort of hard to even wrap your mind around until you see some of the pictures and hear some of the stories, because they do just... You know, they go to the mountain and they put a bunch of dynamite and they blow up the top of the mountain and just remove the top of the mountain and put it into the valley below. And there are all sorts of ecological and social consequences. You know, a lot of the people who live in those areas in uh, West Virginia and southeast Kentucky don't, don't really have, you know, vast financial resources to fight against this. So their homes get swept away and, you know health consequences result and it's really big stuff so that's tonight at 7 p.m at the big muddy imc and why should people come oh they should come to find out what's going on you know first to be informed and also learn what you can do about it and actually see um i mean i've i saw the presentation a while ago and i didn't realize how beautiful the I guess back in them hills is. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That people actually live way back in the middle of nowhere some places and, you know, mining companies are taking advantage of these few people. Yeah. And they know if it's a handful of people who don't have much money, they may not be able to fight it. So other happenings? Other happenings, yes. Uh we'll have more on this next week, but next week at the IMC it's going to be a big week. Um, well, first, they've got the satellite TV now, so they're doing Democracy Now! at 5 o'clock every day. Every day during the week. Yeah, every day during the week, yeah. like weekdays. And they might also have, you know, other special showings and such. But then um, the film for next week is um, Why We Fight, which I've heard a lot about. It's about why we fight, <laughs> why we fight wars and such. And then we'll have more on this when it's happening, but that Saturday, the 22nd, is a documentary called Soma. 
it's about a form of therapy from South America, that it's a combination of anarchist politics and Wilhelm Reich's psychology and capoeira. And you, you know more about this, capoeira this than I a, do. This is a therapy? <laughs> yes, it's a form of therapy. They, it's like a group therapy, and they, they, they talk and they move. You know, it's body movements therapy, too. And You dance and talk at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you dance and you talk and you, you learn and you share. It sounds like pretty much any social engagement. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but this, this is really interesting because it was developed in a situation where you had a oppressive society. And uh, I was in Brazil under a political dictatorship. And this, this guy who was a survivor of that he put together these pieces and is going around helping people to heal from authoritarianism. Nice. So that's next Saturday. We'll have more on that when it comes up. Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow, but yeah. a week from tomorrow. Okay. But it's so exciting that... <laughs> that sounds very, very interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in anarchism, and I'm very interested in Wilhelm Reich's psychology, and... Uh, and I know you're interested in capoeira because you've told me about it a few times. Yeah, it's just r- really interesting that, um, you know, a martial art evolved into a dance because it was not allowed to be practiced. Yeah. I mean, it was a traditional, you know, I mean, way of sparring, and they did, weren't able to practice it because, um, well, they didn't, the oppressed, you know, slave owners of Brazil didn't want well they're they're slaves to learn how to fight yeah (laughs) so they made it into a dance and okay you're allowed to dance yeah and then it still has the other applications too but it's dancing and i've seen a little bit of it on tv and it looks very beautiful yeah so (laughs) all right I'm getting ice skates. I'm getting a jigsaw puzzle. I'm getting dying coral reefs. A blue bicycle. A walkie-talkie. I'm getting a severe drought. Cool block skateboard. I'm getting melted ice caps. A killer heat wave. A shrinking glacier. I'm getting a devastating flood. Adults are generous. We're even giving kids global warming. But it's not too late. We can still reduce greenhouse gas pollution. Go to fightglobalwarming.com. Brought to you by Environmental Defense, the Robertson Foundation, and the Ad Council. After categorically dismissing the Kyoto Protocol last year, more than a few eyebrows were raised when the Bush administration unveiled a global warming plan of its own. The Bush plan differs somewhat from the floundering global agreement in that it seeks to make the entire planet into a smoldering fire pit. The Bush global warming plan will begin to superheat the world first by detonating all nuclear weapons in our oceans. Then, through a combination of giant oil fires, torching of forests and third-world dwellings, and a new Homeland Inferno project, the world's average surface temperature should approach 350 degrees by as early as this spring. The new super-hot climate will make outdoor cookouts affordable, accessible, and simple for everyone. Mr. Bush stated that he envisions, quote, a world where every nation has that great backyard barbecue smell, unquote. And while Mr. Bush's ambitious plan has its share of detractors, few can resist the allure of a sizzling Texas barbecue and a hickory smoke-flavored planet. This is <laughs> this is Orda Energy Mon and Happy Bastille Day. Yes, Happy Bastille Day. I'm not sure exactly what it is completely, but I understand it was a day that, um, I guess, one man was his name Bastille. 
Uh, no. Oh, no. No, so it was... What's Bastille mean? It's Bastille. It's the, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the place that they raided. You know, it was revolutionary times, and they had this mm-hmm. prison that was for political prisoners. And it actually, I was just reading recently that it actually, at the time, didn't have all that many prisoners in it. You but know, it was very but symbolic. it was very symbolic. It was, you know, this is where we're going to put you if you don't agree with the king. And so someone went and blew then, them all. yeah, they went and and raided it, and it very, was was it very publicly that they did it, or did they do it secretly? Yeah, it was it was it was public, you know. Just like a bunch of people went there and let all the political. Yeah, they marched in and. Huh. Yeah, so it's revolutionary times over in France. It's a it's a big celebration, you know, sort sort of like Independence Day here, not quite the same, but. I actually, I wish I would have thought of it in advance. I have a song by the band Rush from Canada that's about Bastille Day. <laughs> but maybe next year. Yeah. Belligerent of Nations. Britain pledges to involve poor countries in fighting climate change. <laughs> climate change ain't going to be pretty for any of us, but it will have an especially devastating impact on Africa. More extreme weather patterns will cause food insecurity, income loss, higher, higher death rates, and more diseases, calling the impacts of climate change on poor nations, quote, a global ethical challenge. Hey, I never thought of that. Maybe people are planning, have been planning climate change to cleanse the world of non-white people. (laughs) Yeah, well, if so, they're going to be surprised when they all show up. (laughs) Well, that and when when the coasts of the U.S. are also submerged. <laughs> yeah, but if you think about it, most of those places that are submerged are, well, that's not true, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was really going off there. Okay, uh, calling the impacts of climate change on poor nations a global ethical challenge, British Secretary of State for International Development, that's a name, um, Hillary Benn pledged to both increase aid to African countries and involve poor nations in discussions and policy decisions on fighting global warming, including talks about a post-Kyoto agreement. Prime Minister Tony Blair said he hoped Africa and climate change would be on the agenda at a meeting of G8 in St. Petersburg, Russia, this weekend. But, of course, the gathering is instead likely to be dominated by talk of energy security and nuclear non-proliferation at a g8 meeting a year ago country pledged um help africa and fight climate change (laughs) but hey you can never have too many pledges straight to the source the scotsman reuters the independent all the 13th of july 2006 yeah well, that's part of the fun of people having short memories, is every year you can go and have some sort of confidence and say, oh, we pledge to do this, and then... Well, pledge doesn't mean squat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people, I mean, I know there's some people who pledged money for the station and never sent it in. <laughs> yeah. You know? they're, they're remembering right now, and they say, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I, I had someone I asked to pledge for the show. Mm-hmm. Who had pledged the time before, and then remembered when I asked them <laughs> to the pledge this time? Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so many pledges out there. So let's see. In other news, place invaders. Uh, I got to I I had to do that one just because I'm a video game person, but. I don't know the music for that. I probably have it uh, on this CD somewhere. Space invaders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was it was old game beeps and boops. I got a boop, sci-fi. Boop, boop. 
okay. Yes, but it's also a good story. Well, not important story, I will say. <laughs> Place invaders. A warming Antarctica is threatened by invasive species. As more tourists and researchers head to Antarctica, gotta see that ice before it's gone, <laughs> scientists are worrying about a different sort of invasion, flora and fauna. The mo- quote, the more individuals of an alien species or non-native species get there, the more likely something will be able to establish and live there, says an invasive species researcher, Maj Deporter. Microscopic organisms are also a threat. Scientists have found penguins infected with bacteria from human waste and seals infected with canine distemper. Annual bluegrass, common on punning greens, and North Atlantic spider crabs have also popped up in Antarctica. As Antarctica warms, its declining uh, frigidity may scare off fewer tiny suitors. Deporter says the Alien invasion has not yet reached, quote, plague proportions, but that awareness of the issue is key. Quote, I think it's good we have this chance to be very proactive and protect it better than we've managed to do with the rest of the world. Except for the whole melting it thing. (laughs) (laughs) Straight to the source, National Geographic News, 6th of July, 2006. Can we get back into the frying pan? (laughs) Climate change making wildflowers worse. Study finds wildflower, wildflowers, wildfires. <laughs> How can you make wildflowers worse? <laughs> wildfires in the western U.S. are increasing in frequency and size, and our drier, hotter climate seems to be blamed says a new study published in Science. Researchers analyzed 1,166 large fires in the West and found that wildfire frequency increased suddenly and dramatically in the mid-1980s. Comparing data from 1970 to 1986 with data from 1987 to 2003, researchers found that the average temperature rise rose 1.5 degrees in the west in the second time period, corresponding with a 78-day lengthening of fire season and four times as many large wildfires, which burned 6.5 times as much land and lasted an average 37 days, up from 7.8 days during the earlier period. Wow. It now lasts an average of 37 days, and before it was 7.8 days. Yeah. Reduced winter rains and early snow melt caused by warming played a big part. Quote, I see this as one of the first big indicators of climate change impacts in the continental USA, said study co-author Thomas Swedham. Hey, maybe now we'll do something about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Maybe this time. (laughs) Straight to the source, Sacramento Bee. Contra Costa Times, Reuters, the 6th of July, 2006. So you mean higher temperatures may lead to more fires? Wow. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Let's see. In other news, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, one out of three ain't bad. (laughs) The the happiest nations are not the high-consuming ones, survey says. So that means not the richest ones. Yeah. So a money it, doesn't buy you happiness. You mean money doesn't buy you happiness? Well, but we'll find out, huh? You, there's a, there's a movie named Happiness you can probably buy with money, but is there really? Yeah, but you can buy happiness <laughs> with money. 
Wow. But I don't think, yeah. <laughs> Can't buy that kind of happiness, though. A new Happy Planet Index supports the cliché. Uh, what? <laughs> happy Planet Index. <laughs> I want to be on that. Yeah. I wonder, well, we, we might find out. <laughs> How do they formulate the Happy Planet Index? <laughs> I just picture a globe with a smiley face. <laughs> it, I wonder if they factor in drugs. Huh? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're poor, you can't... Well, I guess you can pretty much afford drugs no matter what. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> happy, happy, the Happiness Index. Yes, the Happiness Index. A new Happy Planet Index supports the cliché that money can't buy happiness. The New Economics Foundation, a British think tank, looked at 178 countries' consumption levels, life expectancy, and happiness and concluded that people can live long, happy lives without sucking up large quantities of the planet's resources. In its ranking of happiest nations, the South Pacific island of Vanuatu earned the top it's slot. It's happy saying it. Vanuatu. Yeah, Vanuatu. <laughs> yeah, if, our if I knew you, I Vanuatu. I Vanuatu. Vanuatu, population 209,000 runs its economy mainly on small-scale agriculture and tourism. Its GDP has been ranked 207 out of 233. <laughs> so, not a rich country. <laughs> Latin American countries dominate the top 10 happiest nations, with Colombia in second place. Wow. <laughs> Many African and Eastern European nations... They have a civil war down there. Yeah, they're having a civil war, and they're finding a way to be happy. They must not be into the consumerist lifestyle. Hmm. <laughs> Many African and Eastern European nations are near the bottom, with Zimbabwe the official unhappiest nation. The U.S., with the world's second largest ecological footprint after all rich United Arab Emirates, ranked at an unhappy 150th. So with all that money, the U.S. is sort of dead center <laughs> in the race for happiness. There's a race? <laughs> report co-author Nick Marks says the report reveals, quote, patterns that show how we might better achieve long and happy lives for all while living within our environmental means. Straight to the source, BBC News, The Independent, 12th of July, 2006. I'm going to have to look up this happiness yeah, index. happiness index. And here I thought, you know, I've been saving up for that SUV. I thought if I could just Tree's get that, <laughs> I'd be happy. <laughs> I want to get the, the stretch Hummer is, is my goal. Have you ever seen those? It's like a stretch limo. I got passed by one on the interstate. <laughs> it was going about 90. Yeah. I was just like, and it was like silver plated. I mean, it was like, I mean, not silver. The it whole shines. Thing, the whole thing was chrome. Yeah. The whole thing's chrome and it shines. I've seen that. Like, I could carpool with all my ecological friends. <laughs> all 50 of them. Yeah, all 50. <laughs> well, I'd be a very fortunate person. Um, you were talking about happy. Now I've got angry. <laughs> Two angry moms taking on school lunch. If a if Amy Kalafa and Susan Rubin have their way, no one will ever doubt that two angry moms can have a big impact on the food school kids eat at lunch and snack time. <laughs> Frustrated by the overly processed food their children eat at school, Amy and Susan join forces to make a movie. <laughs> While making the film, they discovered a number of innovative programs to feed children with healthy, locally produced food. Fresh food, that is. 
Connecticut's um, Yukonwa School has fresh, locally produced organic foods in their lunchroom. Uh, Chef Ann Cooper has moved the Bridgehampton, New York, public school district to food that comes directly out of a garden. And Chef Tony Garassi of the South Meadow School in Peterborough, New Hampshire, implemented a Farms to Cafeteria program and involved students in creating meals that they wanted to eat made from fresh local food. Now, um, Two Angry Moms do have a website, angrymoms.org, and website visitors can watch film clips from the forthcoming movie about each of these unique school lunch programs and join in a nationwide effort to address the poor quality of so much of the food schools serve to students. So let's start at a young age eating good. Yeah, it's and a good idea. Yeah. yeah, when that film does come out, we should show it at the IMC. Yeah. And somebody out there remind us in case we forget. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll make a mental note. Two angry moms. I'm big into ecological foods and into little ones. On one of those pages, there's a thing of more films. Ah, yes, more films. We have three green films, too hot to miss this summer. And the first one is, Who Killed the Electric Car? In his hilarious new documentary, In Theaters Now, writer-director Chris Payne answers the title question and makes a compelling case for the continued viability of the elusive electric car. So those electric cars are still out there. And there's a movie about that. And number two, which actually which actually just, I believe, just passed out of the local theater, but it's still... Passed out in the local theater. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't that bad of a film. <laughs> no, it was, it was a really good film. Yeah. But I think it just missed, you know, it just ended its tour here. Yeah. But an inconvenient truth. Good films tend to just come for like a week. Yeah. So. Then if then if you watch them, they might stay for two weeks, but <laughs> it was Al Gore's stunning multimedia presentation with one agenda, to raise awareness about the onset of global warming. So speaking of that, the third exciting movie, Global Warming, What You Need to Know. This Discovery Channel special, hosted by Tom Brokaw, considers the specter of global warming at tipping, at tipping points, and it examines the latest evidence on the subject. It also discusses solutions and what the average American family can do. So, global warming all around. <laughs> and you thought it was just hot out. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, blue-haired green superhero. Yay. She wears a hot blue biking miniskirt with a sparkly rainbow cape and rainbow leg warmers, and she calls herself Rabbi Yikes. A comic book superhero? Nope. She's the real thing. She and her caped cohorts may be a not able to fly faster than a speeding bullet, but they can and do bicycle from town to town. When they arrive, they fan out to the Chamber of Commerce and City Hall in their costumes and ask what needs to be done before springing into action. In Asheville, North Carolina, they cleaned up a riverfront and turn it into bike lanes. In New Orleans, they helped with demolition and cleanup projects. Best of all, their tribe is increasing. When they f took their first trip six years ago, there was 15 of them. Now, there are more than 250. <laughs> you can find out more in Sierra's magazine, One Small Step. Who is, this caped Who is that caped woman? You can go to sierraclub.org and do a search for caped woman. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, that was. I saw that online too. That was a really good article, and it reminded me of, you know, I like superheroes. And I want to say it's called the Superhero Alliance, and there's supposedly like a superhero hotline even. And I was, I was started to research it more, and I kept notes and stuff. I read the full article and uh, did a search online and found more articles about, um, well, these people who actually dress as superheroes in some really wacky <laughs> outfits. Yeah, I know a couple local people. I, I should talk to about that. Yeah. I, I've met the the Green Hornet for the Green Party, and there's also a super anarchist wandering around somewhere. You know, so we have our local superheroes, too. So, yes, we've got time for one last story. Outstripped. Demand for organics outpacing local supply. With demand for organic food soaring in the U.S. and U.K., manufacturers of organic products are struggling to find adequate supplies of organic ingredients and are increasingly looking and buying abroad. While exporters like Australia welcome the trend, it creates a dilemma for many organic enthusiasts who also tend to support local, small-scale farmers. They cheer the rise of organic awareness, but bemoan the current need for large-scale imports. Hoping to increase stateside production, a number of U.S. organic companies are providing technical help and financial incentives to local farmers that switch to organic. The Soil Association, Britain's organic certification body, gives Jamie Naked Chef Oliver partial credit for the increased interest in organics. And we bet if he were actually naked, increased interest would be increased. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) Straight to the source, San Diego Union Tribune, Associated Press, 6th of July, 2006. And speaking of uh, organic foods, there is the farmer's market now on Wednesday at the town square, what, from something like 4 to 6 p.m.? Yeah, 4 to 6 p.m. there. Okay, and then... um, West yeah, Town Plaza. West Town Plaza, the farmer's market. Is um, Saturdays from 8 until noon. Yes, and if you miss out on those, the co-op also has a lot of local. Otherwise, you should just grow some. Yeah, yeah, and there's all sorts of efforts now locally to try to you know, increase the amount of organic growing around here. In the meantime, remember, I've been saying this ever since it got hot. <laughs> remember, it's always cooler in the woods. Yes. So go enjoy. Have a good day.